All right. It's going to be a good day. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Great. Let me grab one thing I forgot here. I'll give it up for my lovely wife here. Forgets the things. She remembers the things I forget. Well, I'm so glad you're here today. Let me ask you a question. You glad to be at church? Amen. We're going to have a great time together. Let's one more time welcome all of our first-time guests, VIPs in the room and online. Make some noise for all of them. One more time, so glad that you're here. Uh, again, as Nick said earlier, if you do us a favor, if you haven't done so, you can text us at 97,000 uh, BTVIP, or you can scan the QR code of the seat back in front of you to the right or left uh, and select VIP. We'd love to be able to reach out to you, answer questions you might have. One more time, also, let's welcome the BT Online family. Uh, glad you are with us today from wherever you are. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. That being said, if you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in the book of John. John chapter 14 is our assignment today. As we continue on, our sermon series entitled Experiencing God. We are talking about what does it mean to know and do the will of God. We are coupling this sermon series with a Wednesday night Bible study that we are walking through the famous book, uh, workbook, Experiencing God. Uh, we gather every Wednesday night, as you heard earlier. If you haven't joined us, would love for you to come for the first time this Wednesday. We have a great group. We gather around tables. Uh, we talk about that week's assignment. If you don't have the book, you can still show up. You can get the book and start this week with us. Uh, but we're doing the, the workbook on Wednesday nights, and we're walking through the themes on Sunday morning. So if you've missed any of those sermons, you can catch them online. Go to YouTube, search BT Church, or go to uh, our Facebook page. Lots of ways. Download our app. Lots of places you can find those sermons. Uh, before we get to the assignment, to the text today, uh, I do want to make sure we take some time to celebrate what God is doing. We do this every week. We talk about uh, the, the, the movement of God specifically in what I call spiritual decisions. Now, now let me just say this. I, I say this pretty often. Sometimes um, these types of things, they, they can kind of elicit, solicit different responses. Some people, uh, to hear these uh, celebrations that, that are tied to some metrics, some numbers. Some people just go crazy and they want to celebrate everything that we can think about celebrating. And then some people, and it's not necessarily coming from a bad place, get a little tense inside, like, oh, we shouldn't be caught up in the numbers. And uh, the, Again, I say this often. Uh, the reason why we talk about these things, well, well one, uh, metrics matter, right? They're, not, they're a terrible thing to worship and they're a great thing to celebrate, okay? Uh, but the metrics that we celebrate are not the metrics that maybe you would think some churches would celebrate. We, we, we celebrate what God is doing specifically through spiritual decisions. And, and this week, I, you know, it's, it's amazing what's been happening, but for some reason this week, it just kind of overwhelmed me. I, I was looking at the notes, and uh, each week I get an updated uh, total of these spiritual decisions. And, and for some reason, when I wrote it down this week, it just, it just hit me that we are truly in the midst of revival. That God is, is doing a work in our church and in South Texas, and I pray across the world, that can only be attributed to the movement and work of the Holy Spirit. And so, so far this year, we're halfway through the year. Amen. We can celebrate that. We're halfway through the year. We're halfway through the year, and what we celebrate uh, this year so far, halfway through, is that 297 people have placed their faith in Jesus through the ministry of our church crossing from death to life as they have trusted Jesus as their personal Savior. And 190 people through the first six months of the year have been obedient believers' baptism, entering the baptistries of our campuses, uh, of prisons that we have sent members to go out to to take the word of God. So 190 people halfway through the year. That floored me 
Be, because 50% of the churches in our country this year will, will celebrate less than two. Everyone matters, by the way. You do one, it matters. The reason why I point this out is for those of us that, that have been in church a while, and, and maybe you've been in this church or you've been in a church where it seems commonplace, never lose sight of the grace of God that is allowing us to see lives changed almost weekly. And, and what I hope happens is not that it becomes commonplace where we just kind of expect it, like, oh, it's baptisms today, let's clap. Oh, there's the report, let's clap. But what would happen is that in our hearts, we would be reminded that we've been saved, that, that, that somewhere we're one of those numbers. We've been rescued. Those of us that have made decisions to go public with baptism, listen to me, baptism, you can get sprinkled as a child, dunked as an adult. You can do any, anything that gets you wet. And if Jesus isn't in your heart, it doesn't matter. Baptism doesn't make you right with God. It's a response because you've been made right with God by faith in Jesus. Uh, but we celebrate uh, what God has done in our church this year. And so uh, I, I pray that, that this work will continue, and I pray that we would never lose sight of the privilege we have to see God working and changing lives. Uh, and I said 279 salvations. We actually had um, a woman give her life to Christ last service, so it's actually 280 people that have said yes to Jesus so far this year. Today what I want to do looking at uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31, is I want to talk about the subject of hearing God. How, how can we become better hearers of God's voice? I think everybody in this room and watching online that has uh, been walking with Jesus, all of us, if we're honest, there's probably been moments in our spiritual life where we have wanted to more clearly hear the voice of God. We, we, we've maybe been in a spiritual plateau, we've had a big decision to make, we, we, we've felt that God hasn't been speaking, and so we have longed to clearly hear the voice of God. We should always long to clearly hear the voice of God. What, what I would say is this, is that hearing God's voice is critical to our spiritual growth. If you don't hear the voice of God, you cannot grow in your walk with God. Hearing God's voice is critical to our spiritual growth. It is critical to the joy with which we live. Last week, we looked at John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the fullest. Our experience of the full life is directly connected to our hearing from God. So, so hearing God's voice is connected to our spiritual growth. It's connected to our joy. It's connected to our peace, right? Our ability to weather the storms, trusting Jesus doesn't mean that we don't have bad days. It means we get to go through the most difficult things with the peace of God that passes all understanding. Hearing from God helps us know and do the will of God. But I think a lot of us, I think if we could poll all the people in church in America today, lots of people would say that they either currently struggle with hearing God's voice or they have struggled with hearing God's voice. Now, now, let me just say this. If, if you need to take a nap and you're about to doze off on me, let me just say this before you miss it. Sometimes we feel like God's not speaking, and that's because we haven't done what he last said. Sometimes God, like, why would he tell us something new if we didn't listen the last time he said something? So, so sometimes we feel like God's not speaking when he has already spoken. But I think sometimes we feel like God is not speaking and we're not listening. Right? Those are different realities. And so how, how can we tune our, our ears, our spiritual ears, if you will, to better hear from God so that we can know and do the will of God? And so today, that's what I want to talk about. Most of the sermons, by the way, in this series, if you've missed them, I'll be up front. They've been pretty basic. Um, the, the beauty of the Experiencing God workbook, by the way, is not that it unlocks 
some treasures that you've never thought of. It's that it reminds us of the things that we've overlooked. And so today, as we talk about hearing God's voice, I want you to know that uh, I, I don't know that I anticipate um, blowing your mind with some depth. We're, we're going to get into a little bit of doctrine in just a moment that, that may expand some of your understanding on some things, but we're going to talk about some basic things, but don't let that cause you to check out. Because I promise, I, myself included, we haven't mastered all of this just yet. And so, so how can we better hear, how can we become better hearers of the voice of God? Three things I want to share today, and this is the text that we'll find it in. Again, John chapter 14, I'm going to start in verse 15. Jesus speaking says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live too. And on that day, you will know that I am in my father. You are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, those are important parentheses, by the way. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Looking at these verses, what can we learn about being better hearers of God's voice. Let me say this on the front side. These verses have a lot of stuff in them. The the challenge that I'm about to face uh, is to uh, share what I believe God has called me to share from this text and not get too far into all the other things that I could share. There's about 10 sermons in these verses. Now, I will remind you, we don't have another service after this one. So I could preach all 10 of them, but I'm gonna try to preach only one of them, all right? How can we better hear or become better hearers of the voice of God. Here's the first thing you can write down if you want to take notes today. We can begin by following his commands. Listen to me, beloved. If if you genuinely want to become a better hearer of the voice of God, you, you can evaluate how well you follow his commands. Jesus says it plainly again in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 21, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love them, and listen, and will reveal. What does that mean? I will show. I will speak, right? I will make known. I will reveal myself 
to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. At the end of the day, we want to become better hearers of the voice of God. We evaluate how well we do on following the commands of God. Now, let me say this so we don't get confused. What Jesus is saying, if we're not careful, we get confused and we can interpret Jesus to be saying that, that, that if I want God to love me, if I want to have the favor of God, if I want God to be happy with me, I need to do these things. And, and that, you know, that actually makes sense because that's how most human relationships go, right? Don't get that confused, though. We do not follow God's commands so that God will give us the gold star of achievement, right? It's not that by doing the right things, we, we do what we're supposed to do, so God gives us the gold star, and if we don't do what we're supposed to do, we get our name on the chalkboard or, or whatever you know, visual you have. I remember when I was in school, we got the name on the chalkboard, and then the teachers advanced to this, this wall that had all the students' names. And some of you remember, and it had colored construction paper, and like green was the good kid, and yellow, you had to go change your color, and you know, yellow was like, you know, you're kind of getting on my nerves, and red was you're terrible. Uh, and I felt like a well-balanced student should just live on yellow, right? I don't want to be the green, never get, you know, I want to be with the people, among the people. I don't want to get kicked out of class. So I, I'd make sure early on I'd do enough to get my color changed to yellow, and then I just kept it there. But, but, but it's not a matter of doing the right things. Oh, God, yay, Chris. Oh, I've done the bad things. Now God's no longer pleased with me. My right standing with God is never based on what I do. It is based on the finished work of Jesus. It is his performance. The reason why I follow commands is not to earn the favor of God, but because it is the overwhelming response of gratitude that I have it regardless of who I am because of Jesus. When someone, when someone says they have faith in Jesus, and to be clear, I can't judge a heart. But someone who has faith in Jesus that is continually unwilling to follow his commands, I question their their you know, supposed faith in Jesus. It just doesn't add up with scripture. And if someone really says they want to hear God's voice, they really want to do what God wants, to, wants me to do, but is unwilling to do what God has said to do, you, you catch that? Oh, I really want to hear from God. I really need him to give me clarity for this really big decision. I'm going to make this, I'm going to, you know, marry this person, make this move, go to this school. I really want to hear from God, but, but, but I'm not unwilling to, but, but I'm unwilling to adjust my life to follow him. You're just not going to hear his voice clearly. To, to, to hear the voice of God, to become a better hearer, I've got to evaluate how I'm doing on following. Now, let me just specify a few things. You know, I, I'm not, you're, you're better people than I am, but, you know, I'm pretty good on evaluating how well you follow God's commands, right? I'm, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, so-and-so, you know, you sit in the front row, you get called on. My friend Lisa here, I, I know all the ways she doesn't follow God's commands, and, and I may not follow some of them, but it's not like her, right? Um, and so, you know, so we evaluate each other, and, and then we also rank them, right? You know what's funny? Nowhere in Scripture are they ranked. The, the, only, the only thing that even comes close to that is when Jesus asked the greatest commandment, he says, love God with everything you got and love people like that. And this is why I pointed out, because some of us may think, well, okay, this is going to be good for somebody else, but I, I'm a mature Christian. I don't need to hear this. I, I follow his commands. And I'm just saying all of us, myself first, we need to go this week, and we need to evaluate how well we're following commands. 
Not just the big ones, not just the ones we agree with. How well am I keeping my pride in check? How how, how well am I avoiding gossip? How well am I not casting judgment? How how well am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit in my life? How, How well am I following the commands that Jesus has given me? If I feel like I'm not clearly hearing the voice of God, it might be because I haven't listened to the commands of God. If I want to be a better hearer of what God has to say, then how I follow what he has already said will be critical. Simply put, following is revealed through obedience. Like following Jesus is revealed through obedience. And obedience is fueled by hearing. You catch that? If I, if I want to follow hard after God, listening to his voice, that following is revealed through obedience. And, and, and obedience is fueled by hearing. And so if I want to, Hear his voice. I will follow his commands. Secondly, if I want to hear his voice, I will run and rely on the counselor. Second point, I will run and rely on the counselor. A few verses I want to point out, then I'm I'm going to try to explain this, see if I can do a good job of it. In, In verse 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Your your version of the Bible may use a different word or your version, your translation, when it says counselor, it may have the C in counselor capitalized. The reason why that is so is because the counselor Jesus is speaking of is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and because of that, we can. Hear me. Some of us, the, the enemy's got us doubting whether or not we can even hear the voice of God. But if you have received the gift of salvation through Jesus because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can hear what God has to say. You know, I think sometimes, if we're honest, those of us that may have been walking with Jesus for a while, we think to ourselves, you know, like I've, 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 I've just reached this hard patch in my faith, and, you know, Lord, I, like, if I could just walk outside and, you know, my landscape was on fire but not burning up, you know, our, we, we desperately try to to have landscaping, but my wife and I just tend to kill the plants. But uh, we got some exoras in our yard that are holding on. And if I just walked out one day and one of those yellow blooming exoras was on fire, but, you know, preferably not burning up because I've already killed enough of them, it'd get my attention. So, so some, sometimes we think, well, you know, Moses, of course he did what he did. Look what he saw. Those disciples, of course, I mean, they, they physically walked with Jesus, and I think some of us, if we're honest, we just think to ourselves, God, if, we, if I could get a little bit of that, I mean, I, I, I really want to do what you want me to do, and, and you know, you know what I want, and sometimes what I want, I don't think is what you want, and you know what would push me over the edge? A burning bush that's not, that's not burning. That, that, and, and, and listen to me, and I hope that I can make sense of this, because I, I am admitting that when I say you want to be a better hearer of God's voice, run to the Holy Spirit, sounds very like out there. 
But I think the challenge is that we don't have a good understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Right? We, we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, that the, the one true God reveals himself and exists in three distinct persons. How many gods? That's important, right? And I, I, I got to be careful because I can't turn this into a theology classroom, but I, I want to. The doctrine of the Trinity is that the one God reveals and exists in three equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It cannot be comprehended. But what happens to the Holy Spirit in many of our churches today is sometimes he gets sensationalized. Like, oh, my church is spirit-filled. And usually what that means is that all that is talked about and all that is hyped up and candidly sometimes all that is worshiped is what the Holy Spirit does, not who he is. And so the Holy Spirit kind of becomes like the celebrity that you ran into that one time. You know, like you, 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 just, you bumped into a celebrity or you, ran, you, you went to a, a sporting event and you, you ran into an athlete in the, and you're like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about my friend uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan doesn't know who you, you know I mean, or whoever it is. And so what happens many times when the Holy Spirit gets sensationalized, people talk a lot about what he does, but in those churches, no one knows who he is. But, but, but then in other churches, he gets marginalized. And, and because we know it's wrong to deny the Holy Spirit altogether, we say in some of these churches, not this one, but those churches would say, oh, we believe in the Trinity, but, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, you know, some, they, some churches call him the Holy Ghost. I love that phrase, by the way. But like, oh, the Holy, that's spooky. That Holy Spirit stuff is spooky. And, you know, that's all, whatever, that's all this and that. And we don't want to be like those churches. And so, you know, we, we, just, we, we just know what we got and we got what we need. And in those churches, the Holy Spirit becomes like a mascot, right? You go to a football game, right? You go to a football game and, and 22 players play on the field. But every team has a mascot, right? Maybe the team is the Tigers. And so while players are playing the game on the sideline, some, some poor soul has been stuffed in a, you know, a furnace, and it's a tiger costume. And they're dancing and they're jumping. But you know what the mascot never does? Never goes in the game. And some of us, we, we treat the, the Holy Spirit just like a mascot of God. Like, woo, Holy Spirit. But, but, but we don't actually believe he's involved. This is why I say all that, because we have to have a right understanding of the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes we get caught up and think, you know, I, I know I'm not doing what I need to do. I know that I need to be more faithful. I know I need to trust God in this. But if I could just get a burning bush moment, if I could just sit down with Jesus and sit by the campfire when he makes breakfast. But I, I feel convinced, this is my commentary, that Moses and the disciples would look at us and say, you're out of your mind. And please don't take offense, but, but if you're currently struggling to follow God's commands maybe, or you're struggling to hear his voice, and you tell yourself, well, if I could just have a burning bush, if, if I could just you know, walk with Jesus physically, if I could just be like Elijah and see those, if I could just see the great spectacular, I know I would get pushed over the edge. And I don't want to say this to be offensive, but, but it, you probably wouldn't. Because what the burning bush was one time, the Holy Spirit is all the time. And this is what's important. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another counselor. And there are two ways, there are two words that Jesus could use for another, okay? One of those words would literally mean, I'm going to send you another kind, like a different kind of counselor. Like you had one counselor, this hadn't worked out, I'll give you a different kind. It's not a bad thing. 
The other word that could be used, the word that Jesus did use, is the word that means this. He literally said, I'm going to send you another same kind of counselor as me. You catch that? The Holy Spirit, beloved, is not a less than God. He's not simply some mysterious figure who who dispenses supernatural work. He's not some mascot on the sideline. He is unfortunately, by the plans of the enemy, the misunderstood encourager, comforter, counselor, God himself, that if we would seek to understand would unlock a greater ability to hear the voice of God. We don't need to be confused or scared. We need to run and press in to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He makes clear that which seems to be unclear. We run to the counselor. We run to the counselor, not not just because of what he reveals, by the way, but of what he reminds. See, in, in verse 26, Jesus makes a great point. Verse 26, he says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, God himself, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Everybody say the word teach. It's going to teach. It's an active, right? And will remind you of everything I have told you. Everybody say the word remind. So Jesus, speaking to his followers, says the Holy Spirit's going to teach you things and remind you of things I already said. The context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But we know the Bible still works today, amen? So you know what Jesus says today? He says, you press into the Holy Spirit, you move past all the, the over-sensationalized and marginalized world we live in with the personal work of the Holy Spirit, you press in, which, let me just say, well, what does that mean, Chris? You're being real out there. This is the repetitive part. You know how you press into the Holy Spirit? You strive to have a vibrant prayer life. You commit to read the Word of God. You choose to do life with the people of God. You, you trust God with the things that's been entrusted. That, that, that is literally how you press into the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus says, he's going to teach you. He's also going to remind you. Some of us, as I started with earlier, what we need to better hear the voice of God is to listen to what he's already said. Praise God for the Holy Spirit who's, yes, going to actively teach us, but sometimes the teaching is going to be reminding, oh, hey, remember, he already addressed that one, guys. Hey, Chris, yeah, this one's been dealt with. The reason why the work of the Holy Spirit reminding us of what God has already said is so critical is because today what's happening many times in churches, not outside it. Listen, I say this all the time. The greatest threat to the church is not unbelievers acting like unbelievers. It's believers acting like unbelievers. That's the threat. It's easier. Let me me just, you know, I don't know if I've met my offense quota yet, so let me... it's, let's just, it's easier to, to get, to get up, up in arms over unbelievers living like unbelievers. Trying to, you know, the, the greatest, I promise you, the greatest threat to the church is not unbelievers living like they don't know Jesus. It's people bought with the blood of Jesus living like they don't know Jesus. And today, people claiming to be bought by the blood of Jesus inside of the church are taking what God has already said, and they are disregarding the reminders of the Holy Spirit And people are coming to parts of the scripture that they don't tend to like. Some hot button ones, these are the hot button ones. Let me just be clear, they're not the only ones. Well, I don't know that I like the concept that that life is to be valued. I don't know that I like what the Bible says about what marriage should be. Which obviously in the world we live in, that addresses same-sex relationships. But let's not forget it addresses heterosexual relationships also. 
Because God gave us a great gift called sex, and he gave it to be enjoyed inside of something called marriage. And when it's not, guess what? It's an offense to God's design. Well, you know, that doesn't matter. You, you, marriage, that's a, that's a man-made construct. You know, what, what is a piece of paper? We, we, love to, we love each other. We live together. What does it matter, right? Oh, love is love. It doesn't matter who I love. Or, hey, it's a choice. or whatever. By the way, these are the big ones. How we treat each other in the faith, by the way. We, we think that the big ones, we got to go, but we got to go after the big ones, but so many times people treat each other worse in the church than the people out of the church. And what begins to happen is, is people in the church are saying, well, I don't know if I like this. And so the Bible's getting rewritten. And instead of the commands being followed, right, we're just changing it to match our lives. The problem is when we change the Bible to match our lives, life is taken from us. We lose joy and peace. But when we change our lives to match the Bible, you know what happens? We get life to the fullest. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us clearly hear the voice of God is when our lives start to get off of what God has clearly spoken, the Holy Spirit reminds us of what's already been said. Preachers making a killing, people buying them jets because they're offering new revelation that's never been heard, and they're not even listening to what's already been said. There are some things that, the, that, that God has spoken that the Holy Spirit, as our counselor, God himself, reminds, of, reminds us of so that we can hear clearly the word of God. And let me say this before I move on real quick. Another thing the Holy Spirit reminds us of is our identity. I believe that the, the, one of the greatest things the enemy does is attacks our identity. And Jesus says this in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming for you. There are many doctrines of our faith, doctrines like core beliefs that are critical. For example, not, I don't want to get too deep, and, but the doctrine of justification, it's critical. The doctrine of justification is what lets us understand that it's actually what Jesus has done on the cross that makes me right with God, not what I do on my own. But, but, but I would argue, this is just Chris, right, not chapter and verse. You can disagree and be wrong, but, you know. I believe that, that arguably one of the most core doctrines to a right understanding of redemption is what's called the doctrine of adoption. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, that we have been made sons and daughters and heirs. It's, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 18. I think what's happening is, is because the Holy Spirit's getting marginalized and sensationalized and everything in between, and, we, and we, we're, we're not rightly hearing the voice of God because we have forgotten who we are. Do we belong to him? Absolutely. Are we a possession? Yeah. Don't be offended by that. He created us, right? We're vessels to be used for his glory. Yes. But you know what else we are? If you've said yes to Jesus, you're a son or a daughter, that's received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Dad, Father. One of the most respected theologians of the last century is a guy named J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer wrote lots of books. I would argue that, in my opinion, his magnum opus is this book called Knowing God. If you haven't read it, it's worth a read. And J.I. Packer, this is filled with just theological gold. But one of the things he says, that, that because I want to get it right, I'm going to quote it, J.I. Packer, in Knowing God, says this, and it's a little bit lengthy, so stay with me, but he says this 
as he talks about what it means to be sons and daughters of God, he would say, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as revelation of the fatherhood, the fatherhood of the holy creator, in the same way you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, check this out. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought, <coughs> excuse me, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught and everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. This still seems to me wholly true and very important. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. It is to help, it is to help us grasp it better that this has been written. There's a lot of words. What did, what did Packer say? People can talk about doctrine. They can talk about all this stuff. But if it is not their identity in Jesus that motivates everything they do, then what Packer is arguing, they don't understand the basis of their faith. They don't understand the core basis of their faith, that creator God, almighty, providential, sustainer, has chosen to reveal himself to me as father and to call me son. And if everything that I do and seek to understand isn't driven by the voice of God calling me his own, then I'm missing something. When I want to clearly hear the voice of God, I run to the Holy Spirit because he reminds me of the doctrine of adoption, that God paid the ultimate price through his son Jesus to make me his own. It is the person of the Holy Spirit who activates and emphasizes and encourages my hearing of God's voice. And then number three, I want to become a better hearer of God's voice. This is going to sound a little, a little spiritual or a little not practical, but let me drive it home. If I want to be a better hearer of God's voice, I will regularly practice looking to the return of Jesus. If I want to be a better hearer of God's voice, I will regularly practice looking to Jesus' coming. Jesus says this again in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Just for clarity, by the way, talk about the Trinity again. Jesus is not saying that there is a ranking of the people of the Trinity. The persons of the Trinity mutually edified. God gave Jesus, God the Father gave Jesus the name that is above every name, right? Heaven and earth. The Son does the will of the Father. The, the, the Spirit is sent by the Son. So just to clarify that. But what is Jesus saying? The meat of what I'm trying to point out here. He says, don't let your heart be troubled and don't be fearful. You heard me say I'm going away. But I'm also coming to you. 
And we live in a world that is broken. And following Jesus doesn't mean that you always have roses and rainbows and ride to work on a unicorn. Doesn't mean the bad days don't come your way. It doesn't mean that you don't walk through the valley of shadows. And what we know, and I say all the time, we walk through it with Jesus, yes, but part of what helps me continue to calibrate my heart to sing his praise, part of what helps me calibrate my ears to listen to what he has to say, when, whether it's the best day that I've ever had or I'm in the depths of the lowest valley I've ever been in, what I have learned in my Christian life is one thing that I candidly don't do often enough, but when I do, it calibrates my ears to hear his voice, is that if it's the best day I've had, I know it's not the best. And if it's the worst day I've had, I know it doesn't get the final say. Jesus is coming back for me, and that makes me want to hear what he has to say right now. One of two things is true for my life. One day Jesus will split the sky and take me home, or one day these physical eyes will close for the last time. And when these physical eyes close and I take my last breath, in many ways my spiritual eyes will just be fully opened because I will see the life promised where there is no death and there is no mourn, mourning and there is no crying, there is no pain because the former things will have passed away. And that's not just this spiritual concept. It's this reminder that when I, listen, there's no shortage of voices, right? There are voices pulling for our attention and our affection. And when I need to get my heart recalibrated so I can distinguish God's voice, so I can follow his commands and, and press into the person of the Holy Spirit, when I need to do that, one of the things that I practice is just literally like this is it should be more spiritual but I'm just not that good of a preacher I guess I just practice reminding myself that he's coming back I literally just tell myself this stinks this is bad I don't know if it's going to get better but but he's coming back and this situation it may listen this is not very feel good by the way this situation you know what this may be part of my life the rest of my life but one day, this stinky situation that I'm in, if it hangs on the rest of my physical life, Jesus is still going to deal with it. He has promised to never leave me or forsake me. And when I want to make sure I'm hearing his voice, whenever my sorrows and trials want to drown out his voice and Satan wants me to think he's forgotten me, I remind myself he's coming back for me. I remind myself he has not left me. And there's this amazing tension, by the way. Because at the beginning of John 14, Jesus says what he just said in verse 27, by the way, at the beginning of John 14, verse 1 and 2, he says, let your hearts not be troubled, which is what he just said. I just read that, right? What I just read, though, he says, let your hearts not be troubled or fearful. I am going away, but I'm coming back. He's saying, don't be troubled that I'm leaving. And his response is, because I'm coming back. At the beginning of John 14, he says, let, the, let your hearts not be troubled, for I am going to prepare a place for you. You know what makes me want to hear what else God has to say? Even, I know I shouldn't say this, even if I don't like what he said. You know what makes me continually want to adjust my life to what he's saying and hear more of what he has to say? Is that he has told me he is going to my forever home to prepare a place for me. But this is what's amazing. Jesus is simultaneously preparing a place for me while he is dwelling inside of me. John 14, 1 and 2, I'm going to prepare a place for you. John 15 through 30, I am in you. He has gone to prepare my home while making this place, my body, his home while I'm here. And if I will remind myself of this fact, I, I just, I don't understand how, how someone could not remind themselves, 
themselves of Jesus' coming and it not in return make them want to hear what he has to say. The fact that Jesus is coming back, that he's prepared a place for me and he's made his home inside of me, makes me want to listen to what he has to say. And when things get so bleak, because listen, it's not all roses and rainbows for us today. And when things get so bleak, the power of this reminder, never underestimate it. Admiral Jim Stockdale served in the Vietnam War. He was the highest commissioned naval officer that was a POW. His plane was shot down and he was captured and tortured. He spent seven and a half years as a POW, regularly tortured because he would not give up information. Legs were broken twice. He was denied medical care. He spent year, over a year at a time in a three-by-nine cell, and every night his legs were put in the stocks. Upon his release, he would be questioned as to how he didn't give up. Admiral Jim Stockdale would say, I never lost faith in the end of the story. Now, part of what Admiral Stockdale was saying is his he was convinced that America would win. But do you understand the spiritual implication? I never lost faith in the end of the story. No matter how bad it is, if you've got Jesus, it's not the end. And if you'll listen, there was a lot. If, if nothing else, lock this one away. I know sometimes we can talk deep and we will, it's, it's good information, but what's the application? Don't miss this, beloved. Jesus has something to say, and he's got something for you to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commitment. You're going to do what I've called you to do. And too many Christians live a a paralyzed life because they want it all to add up, you know, perfect math equation. And they they want everything, you know, they want the yellow brick road. but, but, But like Abraham, God sometimes says, just go to the place I'll show you. You know how you get to the place that God shows you? You take the first step. Say, what? And I get it. I've been there. Like, but, but where am I going? If you're trusting God, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you're trusting him, it doesn't matter. And I promise you, if you have responded to Jesus by faith, I promise. You say, well, Chris, I've made these mistakes. He's got something to say, and he's got something for you to do. The verses just before our passage today, John 14, 12 through 14, some of the, in my opinion, most poorly preached verses in the Bible, because I'm going to paraphrase just for the sake of time. I won't go back and read it exactly. But Jesus basically says to the disciples in John 14, 12 through 14, that the disciples were going to do greater things than Jesus did himself, right? And I just listen. We can talk about it later if, if you disagree. I've heard preachers say, you know what that means? We're going to do greater things than Jesus did. And somehow it gets preached like, like we're going to do more impressive things. The problem is that kind of makes us the hero, and I just want to be very practical. I don't know what's greater than raising the dead. I, 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 if you have some insight, please email me so we can get together. I mean, Jesus stands outside the tomb, yo, Lazarus, come out. He walks up to Jairus's dead daughter, hey, wake up. He gets placed lifeless in a tomb, and he rolls the stone away. I just, I, I, I'm not trying to be silly. I don't know what's greater than that. 
Even if someone, someone walked to a cemetery today and called people out of the grave, even if that happened, that's not greater than what Jesus did. So I think it's some type of health and wealth hack that people preach that, oh, you know, Jesus did good things, but if you follow, you'll do even better things. That's not what Jesus was saying. That's missing the point. Let me try to drive this home with a story. In World War II, a naval submarine, I don't know how much you know about submarines, but they, they tend to exist underwater, right? There was a naval submarine, and a shipmate on the submarine came down with appendicitis. His fever reached 106. There was what was called at the time in the Navy a pharmacist mate. Pharmacist mate Leibs. Pharmacist mate Leibs, before his naval career, he was the equivalent of like a hospital tech. Pharmacist mate on a submarine would dispense medication, do first aid. Pharmacist mate Leibs notices this shipmate's condition and deduces what he thinks is an acute case of appendicitis. It would be communicated in this. They were, they were in enemy waters. They could not surface. And even if they did, they were thousands of miles from a hospital. Pharmacist mate Leibs would tell the shipmate, I've seen this done before. Isn't that like encouraging? <laughs> I've been in the room, right? I've seen this done. And what would end up happening is this, Sailors on that submarine would lay, lay the shipmate on a table. And pharmacist's mate lives would use a broken-handed, bro- broken-handled scalpel, would use alcohol siphon from torpedoes for antiseptic, would use ether for anesthesia, would make the incision, would use bent tablespoons to pull back the tissue. 20 minutes to get to the tissue, almost an hour to find the appendix. The appendix would be removed. Cat gut stitches would be used to suture the wound. And 13 days later, that shipmate was back at work. Now, you know what happens almost every day? Appendectomies. That's the medical procedure of the removing of it. That happens all the time by people who went to school for a million years to learn how to do it. You know what I've never seen on the news? I've never seen on the news, you know, breaking story. Surgeon successfully removes appendix. Oh, you know, like American, you know, Medical Academy Award of the Year. You know why? Because they've been trained to do it. We kind of expect a doctor to know how to remove an appendix. But when a guy who's basically like a hospital tech uses bent spoons, a broken scalpel, alcohol from a torpedo, and ether to remove an appendix below the surface of the ocean, it kind of makes headlines because he's not a trained surgeon. He is less than a doctor in that case. What does Jesus mean when he says, you're gonna do greater things? It doesn't, we don't need to get the big head and think we're gonna be better than Jesus. We need to remind ourselves we're way less than Jesus. But he's going to use us to do what he's done so that the greater things is not that the things are better, but he's showing off because he's using a fool like me. He's saying, oh, you want to see power? Yeah, well, the son of God put on flesh and did some pretty amazing things, but we get that. But watch me use this guy. Watch me use this guy. It's the broken vessels that make Jesus say it's greater. And beloved, if you've said yes to Jesus and you don't get anything else, please go away with this. He's got something to say. He's got something for you to do.
He's called you his own. Don't let the enemy change the story. And if you feel like you're not hearing what he's saying, check how you follow his commands. We're, we're going to have some baptisms here pretty soon. Maybe that's a command you need to follow. Maybe it's something with your resources. Maybe it's something with your time. Maybe it's something with your dreams, your ambition, but just how you treat other people. I don't know, but, but follow his commands. Understand you have the gift of God himself, the Holy Spirit. And then when you go through the dark night of the soul, when you go through the dark night of the soul, don't lose faith in the end of the story. He's not done. He's not done. He's still got something to say. So here in just a moment, we're going to have a time of worship. If you're here in this room, I would invite you to this altar. It's going to be open. You can come and you can kneel and you can pray. We're going to have a prayer team available. You can come forward and maybe you just want to share with someone, one of our prayer ministers, hey, I'm just, I feel like I'm not hearing God. I just want you to pray that I would, I would hear, I would respond. If you're watching online, you can send us a message and let us know how we can pray for you. Again, maybe you want to talk to somebody about baptism. We, we can have that conversation. But maybe for someone today, in this room or online, what you need to do is you need to say yes to Jesus. Because until you respond to that call, you don't hear his voice in any other call. And may, 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 maybe you've been trying to follow commands and being religious. And re listen, religion is a great thing. It's just not the main thing. That's a relationship. And beloved, if you don't know, if you have said yes to Jesus, then right now in this moment, in this room, wherever you're watching from, you can make that decision. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And before we close the time of worship, if today you want to make the decision to trust Jesus, I'm going to invite you to say this prayer with me. As I say all the time, please understand the prayer is not a magic formula. There's no such thing. You can recite words at church that the pastor says, but if it's not what you believe in your heart, it doesn't accomplish anything. But if you know you need a savior, if you know that you, you, you can't do it on your own. If you've trusted in the things of this world and you know it's let you down, then Jesus is ready to receive you and to be your Savior. And if that's where you are, then where, where you are right now, just say this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm lost and hopeless without you. But I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son, Jesus. I believe he left heaven and came to earth. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later, he rose from the dead and defeated sin and death. And so Jesus, I trust you with my life and I receive your gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray, amen.